Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Green for Danger from 1946. The studio was Individual Pictures. The release date was December 7th, 1946. Now, this was in the UK. It didn't come out in the United States until August of 1947. The running time, 91 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guy gives it four out of four stars. His synopsis is, Exciting whodunit set in rural English emergency hospital during World War II. The tension neatly counterbalanced by a droll wit of Alistair Sim. As an implacable Scotland Yard inspector, it's a must-see classic. Written by Stanley Gilliatt and Claude Gearney. Now, I first saw Green for Danger at the wonderful Stanford Theater in Palo Alto, California, and it was a fabulous experience to see a film for the first time and enjoy it so much unexpectedly. Now, I now own a Criterion Collection DVD. Now, any fan of collecting movies and DVDs should always try to obtain Criterion versions when possible. Now, I will say you will pay extra, but it's worth it due to the quality of the prints and, of course, the special features. All right, let's get into the main cast. So, Alistair Sim plays Inspector Cockrell. He's not the first build character in the film, and he doesn't actually appear on screen until 30 minutes into the film, but he's the best character without a doubt. Now, most film fans will recognize Sim for his portrayal as Ebenezer Scrooge in the 1951 version of A Christmas Carol. However, he was one of the leading British film stars during the 1940s and 50s, and he appeared in more than 50 films. There are other great actors in the film, including Trevor Howard and Sally Gray, Leo Gen, and Rosamund John. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So Sidney Gilliatt became a filmmaker in the 1920s in England, when there was a big federal push, which including federal spending on the arts. Ironically, Gilead was laid off in the late 1920s from the film company he was working at, he wasn't directing at the time, and was replaced by his future film-producing partner, Frank Laudner. The two first collaborated on a screenplay called The Seven Sinners, also titled Doom Cargo, released in 1936, which was also a humorous thriller similar to Green for Danger. They then wrote the equally humorous thriller which Alfred Hitchcock directed The Lady Vanishes, which we covered two years later. Because of World War II, there was a shortage of film directors because the established directors were being used for the war effort. And this gave aspiring talent finally a chance to direct, and Gilead got his chance in 1943 co-directing with Laudner for the movie Millions Like Us about female factory workers during the war. However, the two were not enjoying working for film companies, so they formed their own company called Individual Pictures. In 1945, Gilead was looking to make a film for the production company and read a novel called Green for Danger, written by Christiana Brand. She was married to a surgeon who was assigned to a military hospital. She went along to watch an operation, and the anesthesiologist told her how to commit a murder. She thought of turning this into a thriller, but could not think of a motive until a drunk man told her of an experience in a bomb shelter. She then wrote the book, which was published in 1941. Now, the original story takes place at a military hospital, and there was some apprehension from the censors about having a murder story that takes place in a military hospital right after the war had ended. There was also worry about the somewhat risque nature involving the relationships between the doctors and nurses in the story. 
Gilead did stay fairly faithful to the book, and the censor's concern were not an issue, ultimately, for the film. All right, let's get into the film. So it begins with the narration from Police Inspector Cockerell, played by Alistair Sim. To the Assistant Commissioner of the Police, Scotland Yard, sir. The amazing events which I am reporting may be said to have begun on the evening of August the 17th, 1944. Postman was cycling up Heron's Hill on his way to deliver mail at the hospital. His name was Joseph Higgins. I begin with him because he was the first to die. The hospital itself lay a mile away, and Elizabethan Manor requisitioned and converted in the emergency war. Another new paragraph. In the operating theatre that night, there was a surgeon, Mr. Eden. Nurse Woods. Nurse Sanson. Theatre sister, Bates. Nurse Lindley. And the anaesthetist, Dr. Barnes. August the 17th, 1944. By August the 22nd, two of these people would be dead. And one of them, a murderer. The setting is London in August of 1944, still in the height of World War II. Shortly after the initial scene in the hospital, there is a bombing at a local post office by the Germans. We go back to the hospital and the surgery room where there's a bit of a soap opera happening. Dr. Barnes, played by Trevor Howard, and Nurse Lindley, played by Sally Gray, are having an argument about being asked to a dance by another man, even though she and Dr. Barnes are engaged. Also adding to the soap opera feel, the head doctor, Mr. Eden, played by Leo Glenn, is a notorious womanizer. Even the sisters, who are also nurses, seem to be infatuated with him. Later that night, a patient is brought in by the name of Joseph Higgins, who was a postman believed to be wounded from the bombing earlier in the day. He is scheduled for surgery the next morning. He's also mumbling incoherently throughout the night. To keep with the general hospital theme, later in the evening, Nurse Lindley and Dr. Eden discuss her relationship with Dr. Barnes, and we find out they are no longer engaged. There is another bombing in which Dr. Eden hugs her out of instinct, then the two kiss. Dr. Eden apologizes, though Nurse Lindley doesn't seem too offended by the kiss. To further complicate matters, Sister Bates, played by Judy Campbell, saw the two kiss. We can sort of infer that Sister Bates has a thing for Dr. Eden by her mannerisms, but she never says anything, at least not yet. The next morning, Higgins goes in for surgery, and some curious things occur prior to Higgins being given the anesthesia. I shall need a new oxygen cylinder, nurse. We nearly ran this one out last time. Very well, sir. Well, good morning, nurse. Good morning, sir. How's the patient? I can do with a pint. That's the preoperative atropine. Thank you very much. We shall keep you long. There's no need to worry. It's only a small thing, hardly an operation at all. Dr. Barnes, ain't it? That's right. Remember me, Joe Higgins? Yes, you're the postman. Thought you would. You gonna do the anaesthetic? Yes. You've got a nerve. All right, perfectly. Lucilla. All right, shove it in. Oh, sister, I think I'll get the anaesthetic on the table. Save time, he's not the nervous type. Very well. 
You say you're giving me anesthetic on the table. That's right. Mm-hmm. Samson! Bring the machine in, Woods. Do hurry. Yes, sister. Oh, Samson, you can bring the patient in right away. Yes, sister. Well, as Churchill says, man the guns, sweep the skies, plow the fields, and fill the trunk. Who's that? Who's that? I know that voice. I've heard it before. What's the matter? It's the patient, sir. I think he's a bit excited. It's the only one of them. I've heard it before somewhere. I can't remember where I heard it. Don't worry, Molly. It will all come back later. Yes. Yes? There's no danger, is there? No, of course not. No danger at all. <laughs> Famous last words. During the anesthesia procedure, something goes wrong and Higgins stops breathing. And everything was done properly and the protocols were followed, but Higgins died before the surgery even began. The superintendent of the hospital, Dr. White, played by Ronald Adam, questions the doctors involved about the death of Higgins. There'll have to be an inquest, of course. Quite. Most unfortunate. These things always create such a mistaken impression outside. Of course, I'm not suggesting anyone's in the least to blame. Barnes, are you quite certain that the tubes weren't crossed? Positive. You checked the machine? Of course. Hmm. Well, I'm inclined to take the view that the man was still suffering from shock. These things are bound to happen now and then when taking justifiable risks in urgent cases. I'm afraid we can't tell the coroner that. Oh, uh, why not? Because this case wasn't particularly urgent. Oh. And there wasn't any risk. The patient was perfectly fit. Hmm, should have taken the anaesthetic without turning a hair. Well, the fact remains he didn't. This would have to happen in my very first month here. It's most distressing. Any views, Bernie? Well, of course, I wasn't there, but it certainly seems a bit strange. Might get a clue from the post-mortem. Clue? Why is he what you mean? Well, we shall soon know. No doubt it'll all straighten itself out. Thank you, gentlemen. I don't think I need keep you. Thank you, sir. By the way, I don't see that this need be any reason for cancelling tonight's uh, little gathering. It started some time ago. Hmm? Oh, quite. Well, it makes a break for the nurses, helps morale. I might even look in a little later myself. Enough. Dr. Barnes, would you mind staying behind a moment? I'll see you at the Right. He spoke of our little gathering as though it needed lancing. Great. Oh, great. Barnes, you were in practice in this district before joining the hospital, I believe. I was? Yes. <clears throat> Frankly, I'm told that this won't be the first inquest of its kind you've had to attend at Heron's Park. That's true. The other was four years ago. Mm, yes. Just a little unfortunate. I don't know what you're implying. The surgeon and I were both exonerated. Obviously. I'm not suggesting for a moment. Natural causes, cardiac failure, it might happen to any of us. The fact remains, people talk. They generally do. They will in this case. Let them. I don't know that we can take quite so <laughs> carefree of you. We have the hospital to think of now. I can see that, but after For all... For instance, soon after you came here, I believe an anonymous letter was received. From some illiterate halfwit. Beneath contempt, of course. Still, candidly, I was rather hoping for a gesture from you. Uh? It might. I merely throw out the suggestion. It might simplify matters if you were to discontinue your theater duties, pending... You mean up... admit responsibility for Higgins's death? Good heavens, no. If I'm suspended, that's what it amounts to. My dear fellow, I merely suggested that I was hoping the gesture would come from you. Well, it won't. Now, listen, Barnes. In fact, the only gesture I feel like making is far from polite. 
There's no necessity to be vulgar. I'm sure my predecessor was... Under your predecessor, this hospital had a magnificent record. Partly because he backed his staff to the hilt. This is intolerable. I asked for cooperation. You don't want cooperation. What you want is a scapegoat, neatly trussed up as a convenient sacrifice, in case anyone starts throwing bricks at you. I... Really, I... Suspend me if you like. If you do, I shall appeal. Good night. Dr. Barnes storms out of Dr. White's office and, to make matters worse, sees his ex-fiancee dancing with Dr. Eden. Nurse Lindley and Dr. Barnes do end up connecting at the dance and talking a bit. Barnes would like to forget their argument and stay together, but Lindley is more hesitant. The other part of the soap opera is Nurse Sanson, who is constantly tormented by the death of her mother, whom she blamed herself for leaving alone before a bombing killed her. She continues to work at the hospital to keep her mind off things, but she can never fully take her mind off her mother's death. Dr. Eden suggests she take a leave of absence or leave the town altogether, but she declines. We then get another interesting conversation between the two scorned in the love triangle at the hospital, Sister Bates and Dr. Barnes. Hello, sister. Having a good time? Nope. Oh. Well, I don't feel exactly festive myself. Have a drink. I've got one. They make what's called a handsome couple, don't they? Yes. Well, I don't know about him. That's why I have the advantage of you. What? I do know about him. All about him. You think I'm an awful fool, don't you? Why? Oh, you know. Everybody knows by now. It's funny, I can do my work and keep my head. I might be a machine, but when it comes to him, I... it's funny, isn't it? What about a dance? He's sick of me. And I'm sick of myself. Now, look. You're a fool, too. You know that, don't you? We all have our off moments. I saw him kissing her in the ward last night. What? That hurt, didn't it? Well, you know how I feel. I saw him. I saw the way he looked at her. He's in love. As far as he ever can be. If I were you, I'd have a nice cup of cocoa and go to bed. You know it's the truth. If he wanted to marry her, do you think she'd hesitate if you weren't here? Well, I am here. You won't be much longer. Not if he knows about it. What are you getting at? You killed a girl, didn't you? A few years ago in Heron's Park. That's not true, and I've had just about enough of it. Now there's been another death, and White's had you on the carpet. What's this got to do with Eden? You're in his way, that's all. You're imagining things. No, I'm not. I'm seeing the truth. You get like that. You get to see people like you never did before. All the rotten things about them you shut your eyes to once. And that hurts, and it's a comfort. You're in his way, don't you see? What are you getting at? We'll find out. I'm going to join him. So, Sister Bates not too subtly had pointed out that nobody should trust Dr. Eden, professionally and personally. Sister Bates ends up dancing with Dr. Eden, and she confronts him cryptically about what she knows about him. I'm sorry it's come to this. What? Spoiling your evening, having to dance with me. Don't be upset. Do you think I don't know? Now, Marion, why can't you be sensible? We neither of us ever pretended it was serious. It was all over months ago, and no harm done. Except to me. I've tried to be considerate, but you won't let me. Considerate? You can't afford to be anything else. What do you mean? You see, I happen to know. No one. Can't you guess? I can't. 
you really want me to tell you? Yes. What are you talking about? What is all this? You know, all right. Sister Bates then runs off and decides to really drop a bombshell. Listen, everybody. I'm sorry to interrupt the dancing, but I have an important announcement to make. A patient called Higgins died in the theater this morning. It wasn't natural causes, and it wasn't an accident. Shall I tell you what it was? Murder. Yes, he was murdered. I found out how it was done. Not quite by accident, but I found out. And believe it or not, I know who did it. Marion, please. And what's more, I've got something to prove it. I know where it is because I've hidden it. I've hidden it and I'm the only one that knows where. All right, but I suggest you come and tell Dr. Wright all about it. I'll take you into it. Let me alone. I'll go where I please. Yes, please. Sister. Could I have the key of the operating test, please? I won't be long. I'm just going back for a minute. Okay. Sister Bates then races through the operating room alone, or so she thinks, but Dr. Eden is following her. What on earth's the matter with you, Maddie? For heaven's sake, what is it? There was someone following me. Oh, don't be upset. It was you! Marion! Marion, come back! She ends up making it to the operating room, is looking for something in the medicine cabinet. She then sees in the shadows a figure in full hospital scrubs holding a scalpel. We can't tell who it is. Sister Bates screams, and we can assume her fate. In the meantime, Nurse Lindley was also interested in going to the operating room, and she finds the body of Nurse Bates. It is then we are finally introduced to the person narrating the beginning of the film, Inspector Cockrell from Scotland Yard. He is by far the most memorable character in the movie and really makes the final hour a real delight. The best comparison I can give for modern viewers is he's sort of like Peter Falk when he played Columbo. He seems sort of bumbling and not really knowing what he's doing, but he knows exactly what he's doing and people underestimate him, which he uses to his advantage. His character is also the comic relief for mostly a dark mystery up to this point. Good morning. Should I have... Well, considering everything, yes. What's wrong with him? Just the usual slight discomfort after meals, nothing... I have an appointment with the superintendent. Do you mind telling him I'm here? What name? Cockrell, Inspector Cockrell. Yes, Scotland Yard, I'm afraid. (laughs) It's sickening. Dr. White, please. A terrible business, Inspector. Mm, right. Well, where's the body? In the theater, just as it was found. Police surgeon there? Yes. I do hope everything can be arranged discreetly. <laughs> Shouldn't think so for a moment. Why not? Press? Do they have to be seen? Can't keep them out. Oh, dear. I don't mind. Always give me a good write-up. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Lieutenant Colder, do you think? Yes, sir. Hello, Hendricks. Good morning, sir. Kitty's well? Fine. Good. The body's on the floor. Well, Doctor? Any views? Stabbed twice, of course. So I see. Surgical knife found in second wound, first in heart, cause of death. Took place nine or ten last night. Couldn't put it in any other. You don't have to. We know within ten minutes. Found these on the floor. Probably worn by whoever did it and left behind. Any fingerprints? What nice set of hers, low down on that cupboard door. Right hand. Dr. White. Could you assemble all the people you mentioned at once? Somewhere private. I'd like to talk to them. Yes, Inspector. Oh, 
I wish the man would come and get it over. He's conducting a war of nerves, that's what it is. When I think of her lying there like that, and only a few minutes before she was alive... That's and... enough, Freddie. Why the devil is he only after five of us here? That's what I want to know. Because you're the only people who seem to have been concerned with both murders. Simple when you think of it, isn't it? This is Inspector Cockrell. Mr. Eden, Dr. Barnes, Nurse Woods, Sanson, Linley. I like it. Inspector, you said both murders. Mm. Sister Bates and what's his name, Higgins. Who said Higgins was murdered? Well, Sister Bates herself for one, last night. I understood you were there, Dr. Barnes. Yes, but I didn't realize that she didn't knew. You? What about the Higgins postmortem? Completely negative. But why should anyone want to murder Higgins? Mm. My dear young lady, how should I know? I've only just got here. But I understand from Dr. White that all of you were present when he died. Not Except really. Nurse Linley. <laughs> Interesting cross current. I beg your pardon. Except Nurse Linley. Who was, however, on duty in Higgins's ward the whole of the night before. Yes, so I was. And all of you were at the party. So there you are. Are you implying that one of us did it? Well, it seems very likely. Don't you think? Inspector Cockrell, I really can't help feeling that there must be some relatively innocent explanation of this terrible business. Why, please don't be fatuous. Really? We are dealing with two premeditated murders. Can anyone tell me anything they think I ought to know? If so, now is the time. Very well, pause for 30 seconds while you cook up your alibis. Did you get us here just to insult us? I only like to strike an informal note. Well? I've cooked mine up, Inspector. I hope it's good. Oh, done to a turn. Well, uh, I stayed here for a few minutes after Sister ran out, and then I went straight back to our rooms in the coach house uh, for five minutes' walk. Anyone see you? I don't know. Hmm. I'm sure you can do better, Mr. Eden. Aye. Uh, with the exercise of a little imagination. You followed Sister Bates, I believe. Yeah. Did you catch her? <laughs> As if you'd tell me if you did. I followed her out to the terrace, but she disappeared. I waited a moment or two, but she didn't show up, so I went direct to the sister's room. What? Eden. One moment, Dr. Barnes. Anyone see you? I shouldn't think so. The invisible man. <laughs> Thanks. Now, Sanson, your turn. Is that necessary, Inspector? She's not well, and like the rest of us, she's been up half the night. There's nothing to tell. I was just leaving when Sister Bates stopped the gramophone and spoke to everyone. It upset me, rather. It was all... well... Highly embarrassing. Where did you go? Straight to the coach house. She was in bed when I got back. Well, obviously, she couldn't have done it. Unless she was fully dressed under the bedclothes, then she might have had time. That's preposterous. Naturally. Now then, Dr. Barnes, what about you? I went after Eden. Me? Why? Because you thought he might be the murderer, suggested by the late Sister Bates? Oh, that's a charming supposition. <laughs> well? Thank you. What on earth are you suggesting, Brian? Did you catch him up? No. What did you do then? Went for a walk. Where? In the garden. Why did you want the key for the operating theatre? I didn't. You told Sergeant McCoy last night that Dr. Barnes wanted the key. I... Didn't you? Yes. Why? You're not a theatre nurse, are you? No. And why did you go to the theatre? Just a minute. She discovered the body, Inspector. Some of our most celebrated criminals have made a particular point of doing the same. Sister Bates said she'd hidden something. I thought the theatre was the most likely place. I see. Just feminine curiosity. Why not? Not the desire to remove that something before Sister Bates could use it to incriminate anyone. Dr. Barnes, for instance. Oh, Mr. Eden. That's more like it. 
You're positively excelling yourself this morning, Barnes. You're the young lady's fiancé, I believe. I was. Do you agree with his use of the past tense? I couldn't agree more. Uh, another punctured romance. Well, it comes to this. All of you had time, yet none of your stories is corroborated. Oh, perhaps we all did it. I wonder if you realize exactly the sort of person we're dealing with. Let me tell you how I think Sister Bates died. She hurried into the operating theater, unlocked the cupboard, stooped down to get the evidence she had hidden there. What was it? I don't know. Yet. Then she heard something. She turned and saw a figure standing in the dark, masked and gowned and gloved. I imagine she just stayed where she was, staring. Then the murderer came slowly over to her and stabbed her. Dressed her in this soiled theatre gown and stabbed her again. Through it, to make it look as if she'd been killed wearing the gown. But why? I don't know that either. But what we do know is that the second wound was made after death. The murderer was in a hurry. As you see, he tore the gown somewhat. Now, there's one other thing. This bottle of tablets was taken from the poison cupboard. Dr. White has checked the contents and there are four missing. A lethal dose. The murderer has them and will not hesitate to use them. Four of you are in mortal danger from the fifth. Above all, don't trust your neighbor, your roommate, your fiance, your friend. He or she may be the murderer. Come instead to me. Sister Bates died because she knew something and was foolish enough to say so. I beg of you. I shouldn't do that again if I were you, Inspector. Why not? Because Nurse Sanson is on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Actual or assumed? Perhaps you would prefer to judge that for yourself. Three months ago, her mother was buried under the ruins of her house in a raid. The rescue squad dug for her for three days and then gave it up. Next day she was fine, still alive. She died an hour later. Esther was there the whole time. You could scarcely be expected to know that. So without bothering to inquire, you scare the life out of her like any flat-footed copper off the beat. The police force has not a monopoly of fallen arches, Dr. Barnes. Ask any chiropodist. Thank you, Mr. Eden. Before the war, you had a house in Heron's Park, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And you had a practice in the district. I did. Good. Well, then, Dr. Barnes, would you care to accompany me to the theatre? All right, everyone is a suspect, and I've set everything up nicely for you. The remaining 45 minutes is suspense, thrilled, and again, the highlight, besides the mystery tale, is Inspector Cockrell with his dry sense of humor and wit and questioning tactics of the subjects. Now, if you're a fan of early Hitchcock or just murder mysteries in general, you should really enjoy Green for Danger. Plus, the ending has an awesome twist that you will definitely not expect. And as it turned out, director Sidney Gilliatt made the character of Inspector Cockerell much more eccentric in the film compared to the novel, and this works mainly because of Alistair Sim's terrific performance. 
All right, as I've been doing for many, many weeks, we got our special guest, Samantha, who always gives great insight, and she loves watching movies that she hasn't seen yet, especially from the 30s and the 40s, so she talks about Green for Danger, and I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we are back with Samantha. Welcome back. Hello. So here's another movie, Green for Danger, uh, from... 1946 yeah. that you have not seen before but i thought that you might like this one and you're always a trooper about what you know watching films you haven't seen especially older ones um i don't subject you to some stupid comedies though we have found <laughs> out we have found out that you like some of those stupid comedies so, it's good. Um, so how did you feel about this one because this one's very hitchcock-esque and i know you like alfred hitchcock yeah yeah so this movie was really a fun a fun discovery because i i feel like it's rare where i watch something that i've never heard of it Mm -hmm. i've also did not recognize any of the actors Mm. and also i really just don't see a lot of i think british movies from this period i think due to like the war and all of that like it's really an area that I haven't explored too much. I think just, you know, Hollywood movies were a lot bigger um, yeah. than mm-hmm. British, the yeah, British definitely. film industry at that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a fun, a fun discovery. I liked having a change. It was t- a, a different um, sort of thing. And yeah, I think in the vein of Hitchcock thrillers, um, it totally lined up with um, movies I like. So I was curious, like, I was going to ask if you had ever seen Alistair Sim before, because he's, of course, famous for playing uh, Scrooge in the in the um, Christmas Carol. Yeah, uh, so, I realized yeah. that after the fact, when okay. I looked him up, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I think the first thing that struck me when I, I saw this at the Stanford Theater for the first time, probably about 15 years ago, and, uh, and I loved it. And I think everyone that sees this loves the Inspector character, because he's so funny without trying to be funny <laughs> so yes. you, i i had to i have to assume that you you loved him too oh yeah i love quirky kind of dry but a little awkward right uh, personalities um and yeah at first i didn't know if he was supposed to be a little kind of funny <laughs> but i think that was the intent yeah um and I was, I didn't look into it too much, but I felt like he was kind of a, a character that could have been turned into a, it could have been a series. Yes, absolutely. Films, like a recurring character. He reminds me, this is very dorky, but I love watching like Masterpiece Theater. Oh yeah. And, like Agatha Christie mm-hmm. adaptations. And I love that, um, like her character Poirot, the detective. Um, so there are different types of per- people, but I felt like he could have been one of these kind of um, genre detectives. Yeah, absolutely. And and before we were we were we were chatting about this, you had mentioned that there was something there was a tie in between Hitchcock and whatnot. So as it turns out, the filmmaker wrote the the Hitchcock movie The Lady Vanishes two years earlier. So that okay. that's I think I think that's the connection you were looking for. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Sydney Gilliatt. I I was reading up mm-hmm. on some stuff. Um yeah, because there are definite similarities, I think, with how how it's paced and then with the you know big reveal at the end. Yes. Um, yeah. 
it had that Hitchcock feeling. <laughs> and what's interesting is about the lady vanishes. If we tie it in, you were, you're, you're spot on about having um, the inspector have his own like kind of film series because in the lady vanishes, those two duo, the, the, the two buddies that were going to go see the cricket match that were upset, they actually spun those off into films. So that's kind of interesting that the Whoa, same writer yeah. would kind of get into that. Yeah. But oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll get back into it. So it was the, I know the first time I saw it, um, I didn't have a hard time following it, but there is a lot going on there. So uh, do you think it? this is one you have to really concentrate with? Because there is a lot going on. And some of it is kind of smoke and mirrors too. Yeah, I think there were two things that I, um, not that I struggled with, but I did have to pay close attention because one, I think the setting and a lot of the context was not clear from like the modern perspective. Right. And then two, how um, there were, you know, several people introduced at once. And I, it was a bit confusing to follow the different stories. Um, but I, you know, if you stick with it, it worked out. Um, and I did look up a bit at the end just to figure out exactly what was happening at the beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know a lot about, you know, the British experience during World War II, you're kind of wondering, like, where are these people going on? But um, yeah, at that time, they were dealing with a lot of, um, in that part of England, they were getting bombed still by the Germans. So right. Yeah, this was a hospital in England. Yep. Um, and that whole kind of community surrounding this hospital, um, even though it kind of looked a bit like a a Disney set. <laughs> like <it's, laughs> You're right. <laughs> it looked yes. like a little Disney village. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had to kind of read up on that a bit to kind of confirm like what exactly is going on? Like what year is this? Um, and then like, why are all these people here? Um, but once I figured that out, it really was just a simple, a simple kind of revenge murder. <laughs> yeah, uh, who done it? Oh, very much. Who yeah. It? yeah. <laughs> so, how did you feel about there? There was kind of a soap opera angle with that, with the nurses and the and the, I guess the doctors. So, did that? I almost think that like they put that in just so it could kind of keep you off track too. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, because you're wondering maybe the i thought i thought for a while that maybe the um the first man who died like maybe he yeah. knew something about some sort of relationship secret or because of the kind of that love triangle in a way mm-hmm. um and then yeah all the nurses were a bit suspicious and yep. at first you kind of I think like the the detective says, like, you know, everyone's a suspect. So that's right. <laughs> there you were kind of getting pushed in all these directions. Um, yeah. And in the end, the kind of the reason for the the deaths and the attempted um death was not really related to that group at all. <laughs> right. Which actually I think is great. So now, yeah. and you didn't give anything away there, but uh, de- yeah, people definitely have to watch this because um, it's not what you, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, I didn't expect that at all. That, no, that not at all. Um, but it does kind of tie in the context of 
where they are and yes. bombings. And so that all is very important in mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. Um, it all kind of comes together. And the fact that they are, there's an anesthesiologist and these mm-hmm. nurses. Um, so kind of all the, all the parts intersect. Um, and it was pretty clever how it all came together. I think one of the reasons you appreciate older movies a lot is you do have a deep appreciation for history and you're interested in history. And so I think uh, if people, <laughs> if, if they don't kind of follow history at all, then they might have a problem with certain movies. Like certain movies are fine if they're screwball comedy, but this one, yeah. as you said, you, you really kind of have to be in tune what was going on at the time yeah. to <laughs> appreciate it. Um, I always, uh, did you ever watch any of the reruns of Columbo, um, you know, with Peter Falk in the, from the seventies? You know what? I've never seen an episode Okay. I've heard about it forever, but I've never seen it. (laughs) I think the best comparison to the quote unquote modern uh, of the inspector, you know, modern day inspector would be Columbo because Columbo was kind of this bumbling guy who was like a pest, but he was always one step ahead of everyone. So everyone underestimated him, but he kind of knew what was going on um, the Uh whole time. Now, not to give anything away. Yeah, not to give anything away, but we're not sure if the inspector is quite as great as job, but that, that kind of leads to the funny ending without giving away. But uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he, he comes, he shows up and he says he's, you know, part of Scotland Yard and yep. he's a, you know, official detective. But he's, yeah, he kind of just asks really simple questions and kind of lingers around. Right. And <laughs> there's some funny moments of him kind of like walking around outside and, like spying a bit and <laughs> yeah exactly what's he, what's he really doing but yeah. yeah he's a smart guy come to find out <laughs> yeah i really wish they would have made more movies with him like that now he might have had like that you know alistair sim may have made movies similar to that but not with that particular character unfortunately uh was there yeah. anything else that you took away from this that you would um you know you would mention or uh, i i would assume that you would recommend this movie yeah, I would I would recommend it. I think I'm what I found charming as I love I'm a bit of a anglophile like I love British history and mm-hmm. um that whole kind of world and I loved listening to their their accents because mm. these are like the old school kind of a lot of them have that old school theatrical British accent. Yes. Um, so it really added to, to the whole atmosphere. Um, and the, yeah, the mystery was good, not too, too confusing. And yeah, there was one thing also I that it would kind of give away the ending, but mm-hmm. I think something that would have benefited from having color film mm. <laughs> at the end yes good point um, there's a reveal that yes. it doesn't really have the the um the big impact <laughs> no you're right and light. um and we can kind of we kind of slyly say it. it has everything to do with the title of the film so yes exactly yeah. Yeah. exactly because afterward i was like you know why is it called green for danger right oh. yeah, exactly <laughs> so yeah you're totally spot on so yeah i i don't think i think you're used to it because you appreciate black and white movies you watch a lot but for those not adept with with that that it might might throw them off even more yeah yeah but it was it was a great great movie i loved the yeah the juxtaposition of the like you said, the bumbling, mm-hmm. quirky detective with the very posh, uptight doctor, and um, 
yeah, the romance drama. It had a bit of everything. Yeah. Of the doctors, which one did you prefer? The Trevor Howard one, Dr. Barnes, or uh, Leo Gwen as uh, Dr. Eden? I I think I liked, I think, Barnes, the anesthesiologist. Yeah. Better. I think, um, Mr. well, they called him Mr. Mr. E, which I always thought was weird. Yeah. And he's a doctor. Maybe it has yeah. to do with a class thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was just a little uh, to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which actually is perfect because that that's part of the allure to the mystery because you kind of assume, yeah, things about him. Yeah. And he does kind of redeem himself at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, The whole movie, you're kind of like, is he a bit of a flirt? Is he up to something bad? What's his deal here? Um, And, you know, we kind of learn that, again, because of this war experience, all these people have been moved to this hospital. So it's like they didn't really know each other beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're all working together now. And yeah, the personalities were were interesting. Um, And the different doctors, too. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. So you would you would definitely recommend it. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. It was a fun, a quick, fun, quick watch. Well, excellent. See, I'm I'm batting a thousand right now because I don't think I've, I've suggested a movie I that you haven't liked. So that's good. Okay. Well, <laughs> if if we stay in this this time and genre, I think you'll do okay. <laughs> I'm pretty safe. Okay, good. As always, thank you so much, Samantha. Hey, thanks. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.